I was hearing a lovely testimony today um, from a friend in America just reminding me of a testimony that I'd forgotten about. And it's so nice to think and remember the good things that God's done so that we can encourage ourselves. In fact, I've been encouraging everybody to get out a journal and start writing in your journal every day just a little entry, something, anything. It could be just the scripture that you read or the words that God speaks to you that day, the daily bread that he gives you. He always has something to say. He always wants to encourage you. So... You may not be a journaler. I used to be a very sporadic journaler, where I'd journal maybe one, two days, and then nothing for a long time, and then some more. But over the last few years, I've really been uh, disciplining myself to try to make a little journal entry every day. And the reason for that is to keep myself accountable, to sit down and do more than just an on-the-run quick read and, and talk to God, but just to sit down read my Bible, talk to the Lord, and write down something that he says, or write down a scripture, or write down a prayer request, or something that speaks to my heart. Because you'd be better off taking 10 minutes every day than taking four hours one day and nothing for five days. It's true. God is looking every day to refresh you and to encourage you. And if you start doing that, you'll discover that it's something that you love. But we also know that the warfare that goes on around you spending time with God is much more than you've ever really understood. I believe the thing that will be most contested in your life is your time with God. In that the enemy will look for distractions, good and bad, to try to keep you from stopping, touching base, opening the book, reading the word of God, talking to him and letting him encourage you. Because he knows those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up on wings as eagles, run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. Uh, So I write in my journal... Sometimes a lot, sometimes very little, but I try to at least every day do that so that I know that I've sat down, opened the book, opened the the Bible, and I try to make it enjoyable. I'll get a cup of tea and put some instrumental worship on and got my journal, and it's pretty. I like a nice journal and a nice pen, and I've got my Bible, and, uh, and I'm ready then. This is my special time with God, and I have to schedule it in actually, because if I don't make it happen and prioritize it, then there's always other things that we can, in our heads, say, well, I I can be flexible with that. And then all of a sudden we discover, oh, we didn't actually read anything today. Oh, we didn't actually stop. And uh, so I've, I've had to make a decision. I can't be flexible with that, you know, as flexible. It's not the thing that can give when everything else needs to make way. I have an important, important appointment and this appointment, this appointment is more important than any other appointment I have in my day. Amen. Hallelujah. So I was, um, I was talking with, uh, listening to my friend April share a little testimony. She had, um, she's just written a book recently and I had the joy of doing the forward But she was reminding me of a testimony from when we were in Columbia, uh, North Carolina. Uh, Nathaniel was with me. Where are you, Nathaniel? 
Yeah, Tom and I and Nathaniel and um, Haley and Chris, we, they, we were all there. And it was a really um, a big church and people were coming for a long, from long distances to come to the meetings because God was doing amazing things. And this couple, April and her husband, had traveled a couple of hours to come to the meeting and they got in and there was hardly any room, hardly any seats, a little bit like it is tonight, hallelujah. And um, so they felt a bit frustrated thinking, oh, we've come all this way and we're right up the back with two and a half thousand people. But they got a seat and they sat down and a couple of people um, down from them, there was a lady with a big goiter on her neck um, and it was big noticeable uh, goiter on her neck. And as they were um, just in the meeting, as the Holy Spirit started moving, she started to scream and started to praise the Lord and weep and cry. And they, they were right there in the same row. And they, they looked and the goiter had completely disappeared. Amazing, amazing, amazing miracle. With nobody touching her, just the Holy Spirit taking it away. And then um, a couple of days later, she and her husband and her mum were in church and uh, they were talking to a, a man who looked a bit discouraged. And as they began to talk to him, they found out that he'd just had a relationship breakup and um, disappointment. And he also had a growth on his spine that he was, they were really concerned about. And he would actually started going through his bucket list, doing a few things to try and because he thought this was going to kill him. And so they, they shared the testimony of what they'd just seen a couple of days before, God do. And they said, can we pray for you? And they just began to tell him, you're going to live and you're not going to die. And, and they spoke to the, the growth in the name of Jesus. They didn't feel anything. He didn't feel anything. But they, they said, we have faith in the name of Jesus. And um, as they just began to encourage him and spoke to the thing, uh, they just said, it's done. And uh, he went off. And nothing appeared to have happened. But he went to a petrol station, a gas station, as I'd say, over there. And it was cold. I think it was March. And uh, while he was getting ready to fill his tank up, a man just came up to him and said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And he said, that woman who has disappointed you never really loved you. But the three people you've just been speaking to love you with the love of God and what they've spoken to you is truth. Which was pretty awesome. <laughs> and the next day, um, he went to the doctor and the growth had completely disappeared. Isn't that wonderful? Yay! So I want to encourage you tonight. God is looking to really uh, help us realize that we carry within us power that's beyond our understanding. As humans, on our own, we have no power to make tumors disappear. We have no power to heal anybody or anything. But it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And he was excited that he was physically going away because he said, my spirit's going to come. And greater works than these shall they do. That's you and me. And God's wanting to bring us into a place of quiet trust where we begin to pray, not from a sense of trying to accomplish something, but praying out of a reality and a reminder and, and a remembrance 
that we are praying out of something that's already accomplished. When he said it is finished, that we could pray from a place of trust and rest. And I've just been recently examining again what trust actually means and what it really looks like. Hey, Judy, nice to see your face. What trust means and what it looks like. And trust is is a peaceful place. It's a, a place where we can pray from securely. So that when we're asking, we're not thinking, oh, I have to pray harder. No, this is a tough one. We have to really oh, go after it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We can get trapped into that idea of, no, I don't know if this is... And we, we actually are praying out of a place of worry rather than a place of trust. I, well, I have occasionally done that. But the Holy Spirit's just been reminding me, hey, what do you know? Faith begins where the will of God is known. F.F. Bosworth used to say that. But when we know what the will of God is, and we can know that as it's revealed in the scripture, it's very clear. We can build our life on Jesus Christ, who is the rock. If we see it in the life of Jesus, we can have it. Hallelujah. His identity has become our identity because we now are in him. We are one with him. Hallelujah. Joined to him. So when we know the will of God, God's asking us and wanting to encourage us to play from, pray from a place of true trust where we can begin to uh, pray and decree out of a place where our hearts are at rest and, and, and at peace because then they're the prayers of faith. They're the ones where we are confident before him. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 that if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive. And I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to bring his bride into a place of maturity where we begin to pray out of that place of quiet trust. Amen? Amen. Well, that's not the message, but that's what the Holy Spirit wanted to encourage you with just then. So... I was sharing on Friday. We had a wonderful time on Friday. Who was here on Friday? It was a lot of fun. Hallelujah. (laughs) Got a little wild, got a little crazy, and I loved it. Hallelujah. Especially loved it when Jeremy broke out in that rap. It was so fun. (laughs) More of that. That was cool. Um, But I was just sharing. I've been in the book of Luke Uh, over this last month. And so we're just going to look there again. I want to recap just a little bit for those of you who weren't here. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. We spoke about this on Christmas Eve. That when the shepherds were out in the field, they had an encounter with an angel that just lit up the entire field who came to say, I've come to bring you the most joyous news that the world has ever heard. And then a whole army of angels, all the armies of heaven actually appeared. Can you imagine in the dark sky what that would look like? Singing and declaring, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth, peace and goodwill to men. And that word peace, when you look at it, it's a, it's a Greek word in the New Testament. And that, peace, that word peace is actually irene, which means to join or to set at one. And the announcement of the angels, I think that's a pretty important announcement 
we should probably pay attention to what they said about what Jesus was coming to do. Their announcement was, the Messiah has come to set you at one, to join you, that you might have peace, reconciliation, that you might be joined to God. Hallelujah. He is, and his, his desires are, are, are good towards us. Hallelujah. So I began to just continue looking through the scriptures and looking at some of the announcements about Christ and, and the things that were said about him because I think it's pretty important we understand why he, why he came. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 3, when we're reading about John the Baptist who was sent to prepare the way. Uh, you know, when John saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. That's who he is. Our Passover lamb. The one whose blood was better than that of bulls or goats or lambs. It was, it's the blood that takes away our sin. Hallelujah. And then in verse 5, he quotes from Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah. And he says, Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. Emily and I went and heard the Messiah um, in November. Anyone ever went, heard the orat oratorio, the Messiah, Handel's Messiah? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, do yourself a favor. It was a big treat for a music teacher, I can tell you, with the orchestra and the choirs and the harpsichord and the... And they sing, it's Handel's Messiah. Every valley shall be exalted, shall be exalted. And, and every mountain shall be brought low. And we can know this scripture, we can hear it, but I wonder how many of us have actually taken time to think about what that really means. This is an announcement about our Messiah, what he was coming to do. And he said, it was said of him that he would bring every valley would be exalted, brought up, filled. Every mountain would be brought low. The crooked places would be made straight. And the rough places would be made smooth. What was he speaking about? I believe that the, that is a, a prophecy about what Jesus was coming to do. He came that we would be joined as one to him. That we would, we would be set at one with him. God, who is perfect, who is pure, who is light, can have no fellowship with darkness, right? So if light can have no fellowship with darkness, the only way we could be joined to the one who is perfect and pure, the only way we could be joined as one with him is if we became perfect and pure. And the law was given to show us that it was impossible for us to achieve that perfection, that purity. And so the great good news that brought relief, rescue, peace was that Jesus came to make us perfectly pure, righteous, holy, and compatible with him. That we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. And you think about it. Scripture says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are... Another declaration about Jesus. He, he was wounded for our sin, our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Our iniquities in Hebrew is our crookedness. 
Jesus came that we would have our crookedness straightened out. He came to do what only God could do. Only God can make the valleys come up and the mountains come down and the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth. He came to whatever your life might have looked like, ups and downs, highs and lows, crooked, rough. Jesus came to do away with it all and to make it all smooth, that we might become compatible with Christ. Hallelujah. Every valley would be filled, every mountain and hill be made low, and the crooked places straight. You know, everything crooked about you, when you have come to Christ, when you've surrendered your life to him and said, Lord, I need a savior, I need mercy, I need forgiveness, have mercy on me. I receive by faith your mercy, your forgiveness. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. The scripture tells us that we are then by faith crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Hallelujah. Which is amazing. Christ who lives in us. So it's no longer me Not because of what I've done, but because I've put my faith in Jesus, the Messiah, who died. By faith, every day I can reckon myself dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ. That when I look in the mirror, it's no longer Catherine who lives, but Christ who lives in Catherine. As he is, so am I in this world. So if if it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me, which is what happens when we're born again. What right do I have to call what God has made clean, unclean? What right do I have to begin criticizing myself and and, um, identifying myself with anything other than his righteousness? You know, when I sin, I, need, I have a conscience that goes off like an alarm bell and I can't ignore it. I have to go, oh, that's wrong. It was wrong. Sorry, God, that was yucky. That was wrong. That's not right. I'm sorry. Thank you for the power, Lord, not to do that anymore. But I thank you, Lord, I'm not identified by that. I thank you, even if my heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart, Lord. I thank you that my emotions don't define me, my sin that doesn't define me, my past doesn't define me. The ups and downs don't define me. What defines me is you. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. As you are, so am I in this world. Lord, I stir myself up by way of remembrance. I look in the mirror of your face. I don't want to be like a man who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. But Father, I look at you that I might be reminded of the truth of who I am so I can be a doer of the word, so I can walk in righteousness and holiness. Hallelujah. Forget what's behind and pressing on into who you are this is the good news of the gospel hallelujah and it's his mercies are new every morning so when you got saved he didn't suddenly give you grace and then take it away and go ha 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 now we'll see how they go ah you blotted your copybook too much too sad for you now you're in trouble he, he knows what we were going to do before we did it and he was punished for it before it ever happened and he waits for us by faith to receive his mercy, to receive his power and to stir ourselves up, to remind ourselves of the truth of who we are that we might begin behaving in the way that he now identifies us. 
Luke chapter 4 verse 18 says this. This is Jesus speaking of himself, quoting from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of the Lord's favor. God came to make us acceptable. He came to give us favor that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. That whatever we'd been through, whatever valley, whatever hill, he came to bring beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. That sounds like goodwill to men. Hallelujah. He came that he would make the crooked in us straight. So we have to then start stepping into an application of this wonderful truth. I'm all about application, as you know, if you've been here for any length of time. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And God wants us to take the truth and steward it. We don't want to be despisers of prophecy. That is, um, you can hear the word of God. You can hear a good message. You can hear a good revelation. But if you don't apply it, I believe it's a form of despising prophecy. Because the Holy Spirit's revealing a revelation. And if you go, oh, that's good to your head, and then you don't steward it, you're not actually uh, receiving the value and the blessing of the gift that's been given. So I always look for how can I apply that to my life? Well, we, we can know this truth. No longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I reckon myself dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ. But as we know it in our heads, we can then start to set to remind ourselves, the just shall live by faith. Therefore, I'm righteous, so I have to, by faith, walk in that righteousness. Hallelujah. That means every day I have a job to apply my faith to the truth of his righteousness. Do I hear an amen? I have to apply that by faith because I can know I'm righteous and feel condemned and then look at people, you know, with my, my head down and not feel very powerful to want to pray a prayer for them because I'm feeling shame. But in reality, I've, I've said sorry for anything I've done. I've received the mercy of God. I, I'm not actually doing anything currently wrong. I'm, I'm, I actually am forgiven. Why do I feel like this? Oh, thank God I'm not defined by my feelings. Thank you, Jesus. And it's no like, what am I feeling? Hey, soul, let me tell you some truth here. Bless God. You're the redeemed of the Lord. Hey, what are you doing feeling ashamed? What are you doing feeling condemned? It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. How dare you call yourself anything but pure because he's made you pure. Have you received the mercy of God? Yes. Have you, have you confessed your sin and, and, and turned from your sin? Yes. Then you are faithful and just. You've been made clean by the grace of God. You haven't earned it, but Jesus has. And by the faith of God, he's made you compatible. Now you must be the just who live by faith. These sort of conversations with yourselves are not schizophrenic. They're actually very healthy. <laughs> David did it all the time. He'd speak to his soul. Bless the Lord, soul. Soul, why are you downcast within me? No answer. Ha ha, let me tell you the truth. Bless God. 
Bless the Lord. So we need to apply it to ourselves. You should look in the mirror in the mornings and remind yourself of what you look like. Look in the mirror of the Word of God and go, Jesus, you are beautiful. Wow, you're so kind. Love is patient. You are love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Therefore, as you are, so am I in this world. God is patient. God is kind. Catherine, you are patient. You are kind. You are long-suffering. You forgive and forget. You're just like your father. You behave just like your father. He is so consistently kind. He is wise. You have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. And as you remind yourself of what you look like, the Bible says you'll become a doer of the word in James chapter 1. Hallelujah. That's a good way to start your day. To begin to speak to yourself. Remind yourself of the truth. Isaiah 62 verse 10 says this, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and the work, his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. You shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Hallelujah. This is what the Lord says of you and I when we've been born again. You are the redeemed of the Lord. You are a holy people. Do you believe that right now, as you've given your life to Christ, as you've turned from your sin, that you could say, I am a holy person? Because if you can't, you need to just do some business with God because God wants you to know the truth. Hey, I have made you clean. I have made you clean. You are clean. You need to start believing what he's done. By grace we are saved through faith, we must live by faith, believing, thank you, God, I am holy, I am righteous, I am just, I am pure, I am clean, hallelujah, there's nothing crooked about me, just as Megan saying, there's nothing impure about me, if, I, if a thought comes my way, I don't go, oh, Catherine, you wicked woman, why are you thinking that jealous or angry thought, oh, no, I don't do that anymore. I go, thank you, God, that is not coming from within me because it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I'm dead. That's come from outside, and it's an intruder. And I'm going to take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of who you are because as you are, so am I in this world. Hallelujah. I'm not going to tolerate that thought. I'm not going to entertain it, and I'm not going to fear it. I'm not going to start going, oh, gosh, why am I having that thought? I'm going to go, no, who are you, God? I've learned that the who question is a whole lot more freeing than the why question. But, you know, our human intellect really likes to get into the why. Because we like to think, why is this happening? Why am I thinking that? Why has this bad thing happened in my life? And God's saying, hey, ask me who I am. If instead of the why you begin to enter the who, suddenly everything else will make sense. Because when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, hallelujah, which has been freely given to you, 
Then you start to see from where you are seated with him in heavenly places. And the questions change. The father's saying, I want you here. This is a fascinating scripture. Go through, go through the gates. Who is the gate? Jesus. I'll just give you another opportunity just in case you were thinking that my question didn't apply to you. Who is the gate? Very good. Go through the gate. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. It's talking about the highway of holiness. Take out the stones. And I used to look at that and think, right, that's what I need to do. I need to take out the stones in my life so that God can come in. I need to get my life straightened out. Lord, help me. I know there's a lot of stones there. But God, bit by bit, we're going to get them out. We're going to work on that. And it was never a very encouraging thought. Because the truth is, I can't make the rough places smooth and the crooked places straight in my own strength. Instead, I need to remember, thank you, God. You came and you made the crooked places straight. You've smoothed out the path in front of me. You've made the rough place smooth. So now I look at this scripture and I think this is an invitation to build, build up and help people recognize the truth about who, is, who God is so that they can start coming flooding in through the gates. In other words, I believe just as we apply the word of God to ourselves, and we need to do that, we need to make sure we're doing that with ourselves first so that we can help others. We also need to begin treating people the way that God treats us. Speaking to other people, encouraging other people, interacting with other people the way that God interacts with us. But you see, so often, instead of treating people like the way we treat ourselves, we haven't embraced the reality of God's kindness to us. We're hard on ourselves, so we're hard on everybody else. We're thinking we're trying to take all the stones out of our own lives and now we can see all the stones in everybody else's life and we want to tell them about that too so that they get that sorted out. But that's not the way of the kingdom. God's looking for us to realize the mercy of God has taken out the crooked places in me. He's taken out, he's taken out the sin and the, and the stumbling stones and he has made a way for me to freely and boldly come to him, to approach him. He has made my crooked places straight. So now I want to make a way for the people. In other words, I want to ref, reflect to people the same Jesus who was a friend of sinners. I want to reveal to people that God is kind. You know, I think about the prodigal son. When the prodigal son, was aw he was away from God. Finally, when he came to his senses, he remembered, well, my father's a good man. And even though I've behaved so badly, 
He'll take me back. He'll, he'll at least give me, he'll give me a job. He didn't expect or know how good his father was, but he knew in his head that his father was good. And so he decided to go home. But what would it have been like if someone had come to him and said, your father hates you. He hates what you've done. He's so ashamed of you. He, he is just devastated by what you've done. You, can you imagine, would his heart be as open to wanting to come home? Yet sometimes we inadvertently communicate to the ones we're longing to see come to Christ that, that the Father is displeased with them, that he's critical of them. That he, and we do that without even realizing what we're doing. We can do that by judging them. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help us realize that just as God is kind to us, we need to manifest kindness to others. That we, instead of building up all the stumbling stones in front of people, making them have to get over the hurdles of our judgment, we begin to tell them the truth about God's love and his kindness and his mercy so that they can begin to approach him freely and without fear. You know, I remember the story of um, Les Mis. Anyone seen the musical Les Mis? And um, Jean Valjean, you can tell I'm a music teacher. I like anything that's musical. Um, so Jean Valjean is a, a criminal who's just served 20-something years for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his sister's children and served hard labor and gotten out. But he has a record. You have a record for life. He's told you, you're never going to be accepted back into society as a as an upright moral person but we'll let you out of jail because we have to but you are going to bear this for the rest of your life this stigma that that's who you are you're defined by what you did and he discovers you know that this definition closes every door to him he can't get a job anywhere and he ends up um getting a place to stay at a, a priest's home. And in the middle of the night, he just gets up and he steals the silver, the silverware and, and leaves. But he gets caught. And the police drag him back to the priest and say, here he is, this rotten thief. He's stolen from you. But the priest looks at him. He says, guys, you can go. And he, sa he says, hey, you forgot the best bits. I give them all to you. And he goes and gets the silver candlesticks and gives them to him. And he says, leave him alone. I've given them to him. And he looks at him and he doesn't look at him like a thief. He doesn't treat him like a thief. He says, you're a good man. You're going to make good things of your life. Go and do something good with this money. Here, I give it to you. And the impact of his kindness changed the man's life forever. And, you know, that's just a picture of how God deals with us. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. I'll read from the New Living. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In other words, God uses kindness as a strategy to help us turn from sin. It's very different to our strategy. Our strategies of turning someone from sin is normally to point their sin out and say, hey, 
That's sinner. You're a sinner. You need to repent. But God looks at us and he shows us love and kindness and causes our hearts to cry out like the prodigal son's heart cried out when the father embraced him. And he said, Father, I'm, I'm not worthy. I've sinned. But when he responded to the father, the father hadn't at, at any point said to him, Hey, son, what are you doing here? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty upset about what you've done. And he never did that. When he saw his son, what did he do? What did the father do when the, he saw his son coming home? He ran to him, put his arms around him, kissed him, gave him a party, killed a fatted calf, called for sandals and a ring and a robe. And the guy hadn't even repented. He hadn't said anything. He just came to the father and the father was like, I'm going to lavish love on you. I love you so much. And the son just melted and he went, oh, father, I've sinned against you. What is that? It's a picture of the goodness and kindness of God leading us to repentance. But, you know, I found that human nature has trouble trusting God that that will work. What would it be like if wives began to treat their husbands instead of picking up on all the stones that are in their lives and saying, well, you know, um, that's, you know, that's still an issue and you've got this happening and you haven't dealt with that and blah, blah, blah. Instead of critically picking up all the stones and then throwing them back at them and going, come on, you need to sort that out. That's your stone. Sort out your life and sort out your stuff. If instead we actually prepared the way for them to be able to, to freely and boldly approach the throne of grace by sweeping away the stones, overlooking the mess and speaking to their identity, it would make the highway so much more accessible for them to really step up into the fullness of their calling. That if we began to, if wives began to speak to their husbands as, hey, you are God, I'm so grateful to be married to a godly man. I love, you're so patient, you're so kind. I th- oh, I'm so thankful that I get to be with somebody that is so, uh, so righteous and holy and like Jesus. And I just love the way that you're so patient. I love the way that you're so kind. And if instead we began to speak to them like God speaks to us, reminding them of their identity, then it would make it easier. And if wives, if husbands would do the same for their wives, instead of, you know, going, well, you need to, you should do that, and you, know, you need to fix that, and blah, blah, blah. If instead of looking at the stones, picking them up and throwing them back at them, we just swept the stones away, overlooked them, covered the nakedness, covered the mess, and they just began to speak to their wives, you're so righteous, you're so pure, I love your pure heart. I love the way you're so unselfish. If we began to speak destiny, what would happen is we would actually make a way for them to more freely be able to step into the fullness of the character of God. But we think we're going to create character by focusing on the stones, picking the stones up and throwing them back at them to make them deal with it. Jesus talked about stones when they brought a woman caught in adultery. Pretty obvious mess and sin. And I love the way he handled it. 
Instead of going, well, this is a pretty obvious stone, a pretty obvious boulder, you should take that out. If you ever want to come into the kingdom of God, you're really going to have to, you know, that's pretty awful. That's a major boulder right there. And that the Pharisees wanted him to agree that she should be stoned, right? But Jesus' response was so different. He said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody just began to drop their stones and walk away. And then he who had a right, who was without sin, didn't even address the stones. He just looked at her and manifested his kindness. And in the manifestation of his kindness, he was empowering her to go and sin no more. Hallelujah. I, had, I was a um, music and drama teacher, just like you, Meg. Hallelujah. And good subjects, fun subjects to teach. But I had um, a student in my class, and his name was Dean. And he was really um, known around the school as the troublemaker. His elder brother was in jail for drugs, and um, he, was, uh, he was known as a troublemaker. And I walked into class one day and he, had, he was climbing with glass louvers and was right up high and he was just raving about how he wanted to dismember the librarian over something. And it was just, and I walked in and I went, oh, Dean, honey, get down, you're going to fall. And the kids were saying, Ma, miss, he's high. And I went, yes, I know, he's going to fall. <laughs> I was 21. I had no idea, you know. Um, Anyway, I noticed he had a flair for the dramatic. And so I thought, you know, he really does have a gift. And so I decided to give him the lead role in the play. And I just said, Dean, you're really really good at drama. (laughs) And I said, I think, you know, I really, I think you should take the lead role. And what happened with that young man was astonishing to me. He was the first to class every time. He would sit there. He'd be so quiet. He'd tell the other kids, listen to miss. <laughs> and his behavior just was radically altered. And he did a wonderful job. But, you know, I believe it was somebody actually saying, I don't see you like everybody else sees you. But I'm going to speak and and raise the expectations and treat you as somebody that has value and worth and hope and a potential and, and, and has destiny on your life. And I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to help us begin to help others to come into a place of knowing their identity, of knowing destiny. And as we begin to love people and overlook their offenses, we can make a way for them to start to come to Christ. I've seen it with unsaved relatives that, um, you know, in the past where I could have been judgmental and critical in my thinking, I've begun to change it and, and interact with them with respect, treat them as people who are worthy of respect and begin to overlook the faults 
overlook the sin and not react and go, when I hear them doing something, I'm like, oh, that's horrible. Just begin to speak love and truth and, and, um, and, and just interact with them with respect and with kindness. I've seen them turn around and then start to ask questions. They want to know more about what I believe. They want to, they want to come closer and begin to come into to church, begin to get saved. And it worked so much better than when I was being self-righteous and critical and judgmental of all the things in their lives that I didn't like. You know, God calls sin, sin. He hates sin, but he doesn't stone people. He doesn't throw the stones. He's not looking for us to be the judge and jury. He's looking for us to begin to treat others like he treats us. You know, God is so consistently kind that he is always happy to see you. Whenever you come to him, he is so happy to see you. If you are walking in, in persistent sin, he'll continually love you. He'll begin to tell you the truth about you. He'll begin to, you know, try to remind you over and over again in many different ways. If you harden your heart, you will feel the discipline of God, but it will be done because he loves you. But then he, he will continually, all the way through, show his kindness and his mercy. And we need to learn that his ways are better than our ways. And we need to start to look for ways to overlook offenses. To stop judging and defining people by their faults, their failures or what they've done. What would it look like if in your workplaces... Instead of thinking about people as, well, you know, they always do that. They're, they're a troublemaker or they're divisive or they're, you know, they're just selfish. or they're... You put people in a box and they'll measure up to what you expect. But what would happen if you started treating them as somebody that you actually really loved, that you had respect for, began to treat them as the person you believe they are called to be? Because when you start treating them as you are believing they are called to be, and the will of God is that none should perish, but all should know eternal life. Hallelujah. If you start treating them as you believe they are called to be, God will, uh, you make a way for them to start to come closer to you. You see, if I am judging someone, the natural reaction to judgment is to defend themselves. So if I'm thinking critically about somebody, if I'm always um, judging them in my heart, then you're going to find a reaction happening on the other side. Judgment brings reaction. Judgment brings defensiveness and it brings division. But when you stop judging and you start loving, you build up the highway. You take out the stones and you start making a way for them to be able to come through the gates. You start showing them that God is love, that God is kind. More often than not, the only representation of God they are seeing is you. And if you are judging them, they assume God is too and they, their reaction to God will be, mm -mm -mm. it's true. And when you start to drop the stones and you start to make a way for them to come, show them the love of God, they will come and the kindness and goodness of God will lead them to repentance. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 verse 5. Let me finish with this. It says, let your gentleness be known to all men. 
The Lord is at hand. Other scriptures, other versions say, let your kindness be known to all men. Are you known for your kindness or are you known for your judgment? Do your family know you for your kindness or for your criticism? Do your friends, your, work, your, your, your workmates, do they know you for your kindness, for your love, or for your judgmental attitude? If you'll drop the judgment, I believe God will build, help you build up a highway that will help them come into the kingdom. Hallelujah. We, we don't, we don't um, call sin good, obviously. You, are, you have a right to recognize that's wrong. But just because someone is sinning doesn't mean we have a right then to judge them and judge their character. We need to start beginning to speak into destiny, to call those things that be not as though they are, to start making a way for them to be able to come in, to be the friend of sinners that Jesus was. Jesus didn't look at sinners and go, you rotten, dirty sinners. He'd look at them and he'd love them. He wouldn't identify them by their sin, but he'd see them as people made in the image of God. If this is the way Jesus dealt with people, he was onto something because a whole lot of people have come to him. Hallelujah. I believe we need to start living like him, learning more and more about his unsearchable kindness, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the love of God that passes human comprehension. To let the truth of his nature overwhelm us, undo us, radically impact our hearts. To dare to believe it even if our hearts can't seem to comprehend it. Say, God, you're greater than my heart. Begin to pray. Lord, give me supernatural strength to know this love that passes knowledge. Fill me up to all your fullness with your love that I might truly receive and know the truth of what you know, what you believe and feel about me, that I might then be able to love others as I love myself. As you begin to believe, thank you, God, every time I come to you, you love me, you're kind, you're patient, you are, you are for me, you're not against me, you come to make me clean, you, you don't make me climb mountains to, to achieve holiness, you simply come and as I humble myself, you freely give it to me, you give me your heart, your nature, your character, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And as I freely receive it, as I believe it, I receive it. And I, I, I tell my own soul, my own mind to begin to line up with the truth of what God thinks about me. Then my heart won't condemn me. And if my heart doesn't condemn me, I have confidence toward God. Hallelujah. Whatever I ask, I receive. And just as I now love myself, I'm going to love others. I say it often, but to the level that you love yourself is the cap that you are putting on your ability to love other people. If you'll start to agree with God about how he feels about you, you will treat other people completely differently. If you begin to recognize what he's like, if you actually believe it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you, you won't be walking around with a critical judgmental spirit. You'll be looking at people and you'll be calling them into destiny. You'll be calling those things that be not as though they are. You'll be overlooking offenses and you'll be lavishing love so that they can be free to come and approach the throne and receive the grace that God wants to give them. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
Don't call unclean what I have made clean. It begins with us believing what he says about us. Hallelujah. We need to apply faith to this wonderful truth so that we can begin to love others. We can begin to apply that to other people. But I want to ask you today, before we take communion together, if you're here and you haven't responded to the mercy of Christ, you haven't said, yes, Lord, I need your grace. I want you to come into my life and make me new. God waits for us to respond. He waits for us to say, yes, Lord, I need your mercy. He waits for us to humble ourselves and receive what he wants to give. Jesus was slain for the sins of the whole world, but it's a gift that must be received. And in receiving, we are exercising our own free will, our own faith that he's put in our hearts and saying, God, I believe that you came, that Jesus came, that he was crucified and died and he rose again. And I believe that he has the power to completely change me from within, to take away my crookedness and give me a new heart, to, that I would be born again. Tonight, if that's you and you know in your heart, you haven't made that step where you've said, yes, God, I want to acknowledge you and say, you are my savior. I need mercy. I need grace. Come into my life. Make me new on the inside then I want to give you this opportunity at the start of this new year to say, yes, I'm going to respond to the Savior. I'm going to receive the mercy of Christ and I'm going to be born again. I'm going to accept Christ as my Savior and Lord and I'm going to let him come in and exchange my old life to receive his new life. Hallelujah. If that's you and you say, yes, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to respond to his mercy. Can I just see your hand? I'm going to pray for you before we pray for anybody else. Just give me a wave if that's you. And you say, yeah, I see you. That's so beautiful. God bless you. Anybody else that says, yes, that's me. I want to give my life to Christ. Yes, I see you. That's beautiful. Anybody else that says, yes, I want to come into the kingdom. I want to give my life to Christ. Yes, I see you. Hallelujah. Anybody else that says, yeah, that's me. I want, it, I want today to be the day that I acknowledge before God and before men that now I give my life to him and I become a new creation. Anybody else? Just wave your hand at me if that's you. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's beautiful. Well, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind, if you would just quickly come. We're going to pray for you. Hallelujah. Can you come? That'd be awesome. Come on. You guys can come. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Hey, what's your name? Hey? Caden. Woohoo, Caden. What's your name, darling? Cooper. And what's your name? Amir. This is so wonderful. We're going to pray together. Can we do that? Why don't you reach your hands out to them? Would you pray this after me? Pray after me. Father God, I believe. You sent your son Jesus to be crucified in my place. I believe that he died and rose again. And right now, Lord, I bring you all of my sin, all of my shame, everything I've ever done. And I lay my life at the foot of your cross. 
I receive your forgiveness, your mercy, your cleansing, your righteousness, a new heart, your heart, your mind. I thank you, Father, for eternal life, that I'm a new creation. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.